0: We are talking this quarter about evangelism. Specifically, the title of this class is called Giving Our Lives. We talked a lot about this uh, last class, what evangelism was not. Um, but this time, we're actually going to get into a little bit more about evangelism. Uh, but before we do that, let's uh, go to God in prayer and ask Him for His help. Our dear God, our King, our Benevolent Father, we're so thankful that you care for us, that you provided for us in this world, that you provided the church, uh, your blood-bought people, that we could praise you together tonight in worship, and before that, that we could peer into your word, open our eyes, God, that we may see wondrous things in your law, and help us, God. Uh, to encourage each other to speak the truth in love. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the forgiveness he gives. We beg of it. We beg God that, uh, that you would cleanse us and make us whiter than snow. It's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. Alright. Um, we are on page 6. The parable of the lighthouse. The parable of the lighthouse. No, I did not create this parable. I'm not that smart. Um, But we are going to read this parable. I think there are a lot of teachable things in this. Um, And I'll just go ahead and give you a preemptive question to think about. And that is, when we read this parable of the lighthouse, at what point do things change? Okay? what point do things change for the lighthouse? So let's look at page six. It says, on a dangerous seacoast, where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved, and various others in surrounding areas, wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought, and new crews were trained. The little life station grew Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the city. They replaced the emergency cots with beds, they put better furniture in a large building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as sort of a club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. (coughs) Well, about this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick and some of them had black skin and spoke a strange language and the the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal pattern of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose, and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station, but they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the life of all various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old, They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but now most of the people drown. So where did things change in that life-saving station? Priorities? They lost their sense of purpose. They lost their sense of purpose? Attitudes. Attitudes. Look at that, um, uh, where, where it started to go wrong. Look at uh, the third paragraph in uh, sentence two. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. Where did their focus go? Inward, right? Inward. Not outward. And what the purpose, as someone said, the purpose of this life-saving station. It turned inward. And when it turned inward, what did you end up having? Yeah. Bickering, fighting, division. New life-saving stations, and new ones, and more. And the pattern just keeps going. Um, other thoughts about that parable or, que- or comments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rachel said uh, the, the key word is felt there. That they feel, felt this way, but what does the scriptures teach? Or what, what is their purpose? Uh, very good. Second paragraph. What's going on there? Yes. Yes. So you have people who want to save lives, and then you have people who want to kind of stand next to them, and say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll contribute to that. Uh, what maybe is a parallel to that in the church? Well, keep up the good work. I'll keep the money. Yeah, we pay the preacher for that, right? And that's we're evangelistic at Law Church because we pay that preacher and he does the evangelism. This is the start of then at the then it just gets worse and worse in worse uh, verse 4. <laughs> Paragraph four: Less of the members were interested, and so uh, they um, they wanted to hire boat crews where they wouldn't have to do it at all, um, almost like a missionary society, um, and we'll just send money, and then a bunch of people will go out. Well, what's this whole deal with um, with the uh, showers outside the the place? Well, what's going on there? It's almost like what James refers to the sin of Partiality. Okay. Uh, they're, they're looking at value, reputation <coughs> other than the <coughs> inward person. Okay. Other thoughts? <coughs> that point its purpose was utterly changed. We're not, we're not worried about. We're worried about what it Uh, you know, there's some there's some underlying stuff that goes on with that. This idea of pet sins, you know, or or, or pet problems that we have, um, and that we think that we could, we make sure everything is cleaned up in somebody's life before uh, they come. Um, and that's really an underlying problem of saved by works, not by grace. Um, by grace, they so been say, and they're going to work through those things and overcome those things. It's not its not just immediate. You have to work through killing off the old man. Um, yes, there's a decision to repent, but a, a repentance needs to be a lifestyle and we need be patient with our new brothers and sisters. These people, the, the new people that are coming in, they're messing up our, our stuff. So uh, the very end, wow, that is such an... Powerful statement to me. If you visit the seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Do you think that that's true? That that happens? That here at church, they turn inward. It's all about them, and now it's time to fight about whatever we need to make a decision about an opinion, a lot of times, and personality. And then I'm just gonna go start another. Um, and it's just nobody's trying to grow and bring people in. It's just all about us. And so, uh, wow, what, what a uh, powerful illustration of what we don't want to become. Um, and that's what underneath, I don't know if you can see that writing, but what happens uh, under the subtitle, what happens when a church stops doing what it's designed to do? Okay, any other comments or questions on that? Look at the Our Purpose section there. So, the slightly outrageous fictional account to the left illustrates perfectly what we want to accomplish with this class, as well as common pitfalls of such a class. The real danger is that the church will stop functioning in its primary role, the one that God assigned, to seek and save the lost. We are imitating our (coughs) Savior. And we are, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 6, fellow workers with God in that. That's what we're doing in the world. And so, if we forget that, then we've forgotten our identity. So we must do two things. I I love this. Um, I did not come up with these two things. Vigilant. Or maybe another way, alert. Our eyes need to be wide open, and our awareness of the eternal destiny of the people around us ought to motivate us. Why? Because we are loving people. The only way we can say that is true, if we are also, point two, diligent. Our actions need to match our words. If we're truly God's people, if we truly love others, if we truly want to see heaven ourselves, we must act on the things we learn or are reminded of in this class. Not because this class is special, but the topic at hand is critical in being a Christian. What might be the danger of sitting through this class? You're going to have sense of responsibility, and if you don't, what might you do? You might build up a So I'm asking you to open your heart and to accept that responsibility. And we'll talk about it tonight. Not a responsibility of, you've got to be perfect, but a responsibility of who you are. Okay? So, um, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're a note taker, I have provided a page that you can take notes on, on page 7. Um, and we're going to talk about understanding my purpose. You know, the lighthouse, just like the church, is a functioning unit. There are components of that unit. It starts with me, understanding my purpose. You know, we can say our purpose is, but what about me? And then all me's add together and, and become this little church. Um, and so what is my purpose? And I want to give you one more caveat to this. We're gonna be talking about Paul. And here's some review. Does anybody remember what was one of the key verses in Philippians, Philippians 4, 9? What was Paul wanting us to do? He's don't have to quote But what was he wanting us to do? Imitate him. Imitate me, right? Anything that you saw or heard and seen in me, you need to do these things and God's peace will be with you. He will eventually get there in 2 Corinthians 5. He's building a point. He's talking about himself. But he eventually will say in chapter 5, look at chapter 5 and verse um, uh, 14. He, He then Joins with the Christians there, for the love of Christ compels us, because we judged us that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. So, he is going to eventually get to, everybody needs to think this way in chapter 5. But he starts with himself. So I just want you to, to know that we are talking about the Apostle Paul. But in Philippians, we did cover. Him. He's still a man. And we are to imitate him. He's not Superman. And he does have um, the same struggles that we have. So I just want to, uh, to clarify that. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Who, who can read that? Go ahead. On the mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh huh. want before Facebook, this is before 3.6, last 360, or whatever y'all use, I don't use it yet, my kids are right next to me, but it's before all that, he can't find Titus enter OS he just can't find him and he had no rest in spirit and it was a trouble to him, but look at how he finishes that part in verse 14 now thanks be to God that's how we're going to start this next section Thanks be to God. Even in that difficulty, um, God is still with us. We need to be thankful for it, even when we're discouraged when, for his, his situation. Besides, right? So 14 through 17. Who's got that? Go ahead, Fred. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God. We speak in the sight of God in Christ. Okay, there's a word in 14, most of you, it's going to say triumph. That is a loaded word in the book. Okay? That word is like if you were to say Olympics today. That's pretty loaded, right? We know what that's talking about. The Olympics. You know, well, which one? You know, the Texas one? Or the Olympics, right? That word, triumph, is a particular parade. It's a particular parade of a Roman governor. Or general, that after a, a war, they would come back into the city, and behind the soldiers and, the, and the, uh, the commander, there would be all of the prisoners of war. They would be led as captives, and they would march through the streets. And at the end of that parade, what do you think happened to those captives? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't good news for them. They were sacrificed because our God is better than their God. Whatever the God of that Roman city was, because they had lots of them, we just whooped up on them. We clearly dominated their God. We're going to sacrifice these, these soldiers um, or uh, prisoners, however they, whoever they grab. Um and the, and the lead, the mayor, the king, or, what, or whatever, uh, of that city or, or the battle would be the, the front of that that they would start with. In that parade, horses' um, flowers would be thrown out. They would stomp, march through those flowers. There would be incense censers that would be carried by the priests. So you have all of this going on in this parade. Now let's talk about what he's saying here. The new uh, uh, the Net Bible and the NIV just go ahead and tell us. Who are we in this parade? Who are the led? The captives. We are the captives. Jesus is the conqueror. We are are his, as many many places in the scriptures say, his slaves. He is leading us. And he has captured us. We are his servants. Okay, now, Paul, the reason why he emphasizes that is because of the background of 2 Corinthians and the New Testament. 2 Corinthians, we see that the, the Corinthian church, they had a case of Preacheritis. They love some fancy preachers. And the fancy preachers were telling them, you see how Paul lives? That's a sign God's not with him. He has it really bad. So uh, they were telling them, live the good life. And in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I wish we could reign like you. You reign like kings, but we don't. And so there was this argument going on, and Paul says, we are captives of Christ in this triumph. Perception, that he's offering us to God, is the idea. He adopts that. Now, um, he's saying that the suffering that he goes through is this lifestyle of sacrifice. So the first principle that I want to talk about in this text is that if we are going to reach people, we are going to be inconvenient. If we're captives of Christ, we will have to give up some things. We're going to incur some suffering. What are some ways that we might suffer if we're sharing the gospel? Okay, rejection, relationships, time away from your family. I think that's a big one, especially in our modern culture where we have so much to do. You're going to have to give up your time and schedule. If you're working with somebody, and you're trying to help them know the Lord, and they call you at 9.30 at night, or 10.30 or 1, and they're struggling with something, and they need your help, are you going to say, ah, you know, just call me in business hours for the board? Is that how it's we we just have to do. We just have to go. We're going to incur some inconveniences when we give ourselves as captives to Christ. Other thoughts? For Jesus to clearly be seen through us, it requires that we give ourselves over the same way he gave himself over. That's why I say, yes, I'll take that. Yes, I'll go over there and help this person. Because, my Lord, do you remember when John the Baptist died? What Jesus was doing, what he wanted to do, he wanted to leave and get away. And the disciples came to him in Matthew 14, and Jesus looked at the people. He had just heard. From the news that John had died, he's grieving. He looks at the people and he said and he has compassion on them, and he goes and he feeds them. And so, that's all. Over. That's what's going to have to be required of us. That we're going to have to give up things that may be very. <coughs> Second point here: we <coughs> cannot change the message to make it more acceptable or smell better. Notice in verse 14, he leads us through, and in that, when those soldiers were walking through, the prisoners were walking through, those crushed flowers, it would fill the street, the incense, all of these fragrances were filling the street. And so he, he diffuses through us the knowledge in every place, and so... Um, We can't change that message or make it smell better. We can't have discipleship light or a diet church that we're offering to people. It's going to lead them to give of themselves. We are that aroma in verse 15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Um, why would we be an aroma among those who are perishing? What do you think that's talking about? Or why would we do that? Ok. Ok. Think about, I know this is not a picture we think about often, but think about that there's two situations going on in that parade. There's a great celebration that's happening, the smell means we've won. But that smell also means what? Someone's dying. <clears throat> death. Right? And so, the same message is going to bring life. But it also might bring death. Yes? I think of the parable of the sowers. The, the sower doesn't judge the type of soil that right. Even... that's Right. That's right. That's um, right. So... Why would we tell somebody who's perishing the parable of the sower? Just this concept here that I think we struggle with. Have you ever heard or thought? People just don't want to listen today. They don't want to listen to anything about God. Or we're just not seeing baptisms like we used to. Heard that before, too. Should we stop preaching and stop teaching? Remember the the definition of success that we talked about last time. What was the definition of success for Ezekiel? That they will know that a prophet has been among them. The perishing, the dying, need to hear the gospel too so they were without excuse. They need to hear it too. We don't know how they're going to answer. We don't know how anybody's going to answer. But we cannot look at them and say, there is no way that they're ever Teach them ways. That's what this is saying. Among the dying or among those who are uh, going to live. Either way, that's what needs, needs to happen. The goal, and let me ask you this. Ask Noah if that mattered. If seeing how many people actually responded. That mattered. So Same for Jeremiah. Same for Ezekiel and Isaiah. The goal is how many can see the light, not how many are actually baptized. How many did have an opportunity to see the light? Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Remember, Paul says, I water, and God gave me increase. It might not have been at that time. It could have been much later in certain people's lives. You don't know. Um, But I know stories like that for sure. Any comments on that part? Alright, the third one: self-perception. Uh, we are created by God for something specific. Um, keep, keep your place here and, and flip over to two passages. Look at Ephesians 2 and verse 10. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. After the beautiful uh, teaching that God saved us in our sin through grace... Or by grace through faith he then says that, that, that he prepared us for something in verse 10 for we are his workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so when I am saved I then have something to do it's not just about what I'm saved from it's what I'm saved for look at uh, Titus 2 This says it in another way, but I think also uh, an impactful way. Titus 2, verse 14, after he teaches that the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us that we need to abstain from worldly lust. um, Titus 2, verse 14, Jesus, um, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people. That's the from. What about the for? Zealous for good works. The good works that God would define. Not just any good work, but the good works that we saw in Ephesians 2 that God prepared before him to put God in the world. That's what he wants. He wants all men to be saved and to come to him. Um... Does does God want us to have great worship services for Him? Yes. Does He want us to pray uh, powerful prayers? Yes. There's a lot of things that God wants us to do. God wants more of that. He wants more of us and bringing more people to Him. Um, So back to chapter 2. What could be... A tendency of ours as a church with <coughs> our salvation. Think about the parable. To rest in our laurels and turn. My... Holy hells, we're all good and God is great and Amen. God is great and is, isn't this an incredible blessing that we have? Yes, but can you see that people take blessings and abuse those? In your life and my life, that's, I've done it, yes. And so we've got to view this with the right eyes, that there is this purpose of the church to save us, to help us together, but also to bring the people to the Lord. Um, and so there's that twofold purpose uh, in, our, in our, um, our work together. What did Jesus expect of his people at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount? Sides of the attitudes and their attitudes, the way that they handle themselves. What did he want from them? That they were going to be what? Starts it out. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, and you need to be doing those good works so that you can be seen by men. Oh, yeah, that's what it says. To be seen so that they will glorify your Father in heaven. There's a wrong way be seem like the Pharisees, but there's a right way in that we are out there. We are involved in people's lives, and they see it. And it made me think about the last thing we talked about, um, about service, evangelism and service. And one of, the, one of the things I just want to give some advice on is what do we do in a situation? Maybe you, you can share a better one than I have. Um what do we do in a situation where we're praised for helping somebody? What should we say? Should we just take the credit for it? thank you and move on? You've got how how would we do that? Besides like offering shooting them down? My duty. Okay, I'm doing I'm doing my duty, I'm doing what, what I, I believe is right. Just like John the Baptist, always pointing to Jesus. That's what we need to do. The Lord has been really good to me. I'm just trying to share with you. Simple. You don't have to go into a big diatribe. But you're sharing that I'm doing this because of my Lord. I'm not doing this because I want you to have me back. I'm doing this because I'm wanting to glorify you. Um, And so uh, we may not always have that opportunity to speak. Um, but we definitely don't want to just take the credit for it. Um, God said it's so good to us. Okay, um, another passage. Look at chapter 4, verse uh, 7. And I am sorry, I told you to read chapters three through 4. We're not going to talk about 3, but it built right into 4, so you'll be ready for this conversation. Um, I should have just said, look at page 7 here. Um, but 4.7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despaired. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. We die to ourselves. That is the key point in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. He died for us so that we may die to us, to ourselves, and live for others. We invest our lives in people. We're not going to convert people at arm's length, like here. Just have some information. I'll see you later. Not really interested in talking with you, but hopefully you can learn the steps of salvation. We must give ourselves to people. How important were jars of clay in the um, first century world? Verse 7. How were they important? Or how important were they? Say again. Okay. Um, they were functional. Uh, there were definitely ornate ones. But you know what the most common thing you find in archaeological digs? Shards of pottery. They use them for everything from latrines to garbage bins to post-it notes. Broken shards, writing things on them. Um, there were lots of different uses for the everyday pottery vessel. Okay? Now, why may that that be an accurate metaphor for us? We have this treasure and earthen vessels. The treasure, by the way, is the gospel, the light of of Christ in verse 4. Why might that be an adequate metaphor for us? useful? Are we glorious? Why doesn't God, God has a lot of angels, why doesn't God just send an angel to every single person and have an opportunity to obey the gospel? Well, why doesn't He just send a personal angel to every single person and they tell them exactly what they need to do? Why wouldn't He do that? That's our job? Okay. You're, you're, uh, I didn't plan that comment. Huh, huh. Okay? We have a choice. We probably still wouldn't listen. We have a choice to either tell people or not tell people. Okay? Yeah, angels would just be commanded, right? Um, think about uh, when uh, Manoah um, gets a message from the angel about Samson. He wants to worship the angel and judges. Um, angels are powerful and glorious, but a earthen clay vessel, a clay pot. (coughs) It has this treasure. People don't put treasure, really valuable stuff in a regular clay pot. But it has this treasure in it. It is to magnify the treasure. Angels don't have a message of redemption or rescue or brokenness like we do. That we have sinned. We've fallen short. Some of us have had our lives some of us have left the Lord at times. And we can share that. That his gospel is the reason why we are, what we do And he's changed us. That's the difference. and That's what, that's what Paul is saying, that he has this, uh, this treasure in just an earthen vessel. It's not. Why? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not about me when I'm talking to people about the Lord. Our role. You ever felt this? I can't do this. I'm incapable. I stumble all the time. I, I, I don't know what to say, and I'm scared. Remember Solomon when he said to God, "I feel like a little child." And that's what Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to be humble and realize that we are. Look at uh, chapter two again. And verse 16. I think about this verse all of the time. At the end of verse 16. And who is sufficient for these things? When we're going around trying to tell people about our God, who goes out there and says, I'm doing pretty good. Who is sufficient to carry this incredible message? And talk about the world's greatest need. Who can do it? And in verse 4, um, excuse me, verse 5, not that we are sufficient, chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of us of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. That's where it lies, not in you. So trust in the Lord in this process. Go out there and trust in Him. You are going to mess up. But you are not an angel. You're just a clay pot. And you can, uh, We'll stop there.